Hey guys, and welcome to Ep 6 of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us once again. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Cracker of a show for you today as we chat with a bona fide Paralympic swimming superstar. So clear your schedule for the next 30 minutes. Make sure you've had your toilet break because Ep 6 starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Van der Noten's hand. But the symmetry of all eyes is the great Madame Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. Oh, he's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the white hats, Phelps in the black hats, and Phelps has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Joining us today on the show is a guy who at the recent Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast won two silver medals in the 100s backstroke and breaststroke. In 2016, he competed at the Rio Paralympics and he is currently the world record holder for the S9 400 metre individual medley. It's a very big welcome to Off the Blocks to Mr. Tim Hodge. How are you, mate? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. No worries, mate. Happy to have you on. Now, for all the listeners out there, we are, I am coming to you today from the studio up in Brisbane. Where have we caught you? Uh, right at home. Just about to get ready for training. <laughs> good timing. Good timing. <laughs> yeah. Now, no one else will know this, but this is actually the second interview we're doing because we did start one while I was down at SOPAC um, for the Australian Age Championships last week. And the interview was going great. I was average. You were killing it, Tim. And uh, we're out the back of the centre, quiet cafe. Everything was going smoothly. And then what can only be described as what the family from hell decided to come up the stairs and and create about 15 minutes of the most annoying and inconsiderate noise you've ever heard. Uh, Thankfully, mate, you've you've agreed to come on again so we can redo this. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. <laughs> now, mate, it's been a big year for you so far. Trials in Feb, Com Games a few weeks ago, and then obviously National Age has just wrapped up last week. How hard is it both physically and mentally to keep stepping up when you have so many major meets around the same time? Um, it's it's quite difficult. You've got to be able to fit all the, the preparation, the leading up to the competitions, then also the competitions themselves, and then the recovery all into a short time space so you can go one after the other after the other, and it it does take it out of you after quite a few. Um, more physically or more mentally? What do you struggle harder with? I find physically is a bit harder to struggle with mentally. Like Mentally, I enjoy racing. I really enjoy competing. It's It's where I feel pretty much at home, but to do that, week after week after week does take it uh, a bit out of your body and uh, in the end it's a bit harder to get up and race that 100 backstroke than it was on day one (laughs) yeah yeah mate for all the listeners out there who may not be familiar with you i just want to give everyone a better understanding of where you've come from and what you've been through to become the amazing athlete you are today i mentioned at the start you are an s9 para athlete what does that mean uh so for para athletes uh I am an S9, which is a physical class. Uh, S1 to S10 are physical classes with 
S1 being the worst impairments, so the least ability to swim, mm-hmm. and S10 being the most ability to swim. And then further to that, they've got S1 to uh, sorry S11 to S13, which are vision impaired classes, yeah. with S11 being the worst and S13 being the best. And then they've they have S14 intellectual impaired classes, and uh, S15, which is deaf, and S16, which is uh, uh, sorry, transplant. Now, what are your impairments, just in case anyone doesn't know? Uh, so my impairments are uh, right leg below the knee amputee, and um, uh, I was born with only three fingers on my right hand, and down my right side of my body I have a um, uh, muscle deficiency. Okay, so is that something, obviously, they were all that you were born with or was it just the, the hand? Um, I was born with my hand and the muscle deficiency, but I was born with my right foot. It just mm. happened to fuse at an angle because I was completely missing my fibula and my tibia was bent when I was born. So the doctors decided to amputate so that they could get a better fitting prosthesis and hopefully... Uh, help me to join in sport rather than sit on the sidelines. Yeah, well, that's a great segue into it, mate. What what age did you start getting into swimming? Uh, I originally got uh, started in swimming at about five, just in learn to swim, just as rehabilitation. As the the we have a pool in our backyard, and the doctors thought that it'd be a good idea to do learn to swim because it had really helped with my rehabilitation after surgery. Mate, did you pick it up easy or was it something you had to work hard on to improve in the pool? Uh, I definitely had to work hard to to get to where I am now. I When I started off learn to swim, I didn't actually like swimming. I really did not enjoy it at all. I was only doing one little learn to swim session a week and I still did not enjoy it. Yeah. But uh, I slowly progressed through there and went up to squads and slowly started to just get used to it, get used to going to the pool two, three, four times a week. So it took a um, while. And yeah, yeah. And then when I started doing competition, that's when I really thought, oh, if I can push myself that little bit harder in training, who knows, I might get the gold medal next time or I might get on the team next time. Yeah. And as the years progressed, it's just built to where I'm – kind of comfortable pushing myself hard and training knowing that i might be able to get to that little next step yeah so it was more the competition that drove you the training side of it didn't appeal as much yeah no no not (laughs) not to start off with (laughs) (laughs) now you're a western sydney boy mate is that where you spent most of your developmental years i mean i know you're training at auburn now but did you spend most of your years out uh at blacktown western sydney yeah yeah i started off learned to swim at um my swim at blacktown pool and um, went through the ranks there and uh, then got myself into squads and trained under Blacktown City Swimming Club for um, all told about 10 years. And then shortly after that, I moved to uh, the Hill Swimming Club and now I've moved to Auburn Swimming Club. At what age did swimming start to get a little bit more competitive for you? I mean, we just touched on before that that was the driving force. What age was roughly that around? Uh, it was roughly around uh, about nine years old that I started to get into competitive swimming. I started with uh, just the school system, just going to uh, local carnivals after school level, and uh, I found that I could actually get quite far, even though I was only 
nine years old. Now, you can do all four strokes very well, mate, obviously holding the 400-metre world record for the individual medley, but do you have a favourite stroke? Yeah, yeah, my uh, favourite stroke's backstroke. It's been probably my favourite stroke for the last oh, four years or so, and it's the one that really gets me where I, to where I want to go. It's the one that gets me on the team. Was that something you picked up easier than the other strokes, though? Is that another reason? Um, I never really picked it up easier. I found that... Uh, when I was reaching about 12, 13 years old, I would place better in my backstroke uh, than in all my other strokes in yeah. both able-bodied and multi-class competition. And I just slowly worked on my backstroke more and more until it just my backstrokes become the main stroke yeah. for uh, pretty much it everything. It you on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I've had the privilege of watching you in training and the things that stood out for me the most about you was A, your work ethic, but B, that you were a major part of the squad, you were a leader in essence. Has it always been that way or in the young years were squads a bit tougher for you? Uh, in the young years for me, squads was a bit tougher. I've trained in able-bodied squads pretty much my whole life. Mm. Um, when I, I started out in squads, I was a bit behind the pack just because I some, most of the time I hadn't trained uh, as long as those guys or as much as those guys, and I just tried to keep up, but I found it quite hard. But slowly over the years, as I found it was easy to basically think if those guys can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Basically, push push all the negativity out of my mind, saying that oh, I can't keep up with them because I'm missing a foot um, and that's okay. I was always thinking, no, I should be able to keep up with them. And that pushed me harder to eventually the point where I was keeping up with the best in the squad. You made your first Aussie team in 2015, world champs in Glasgow. Now, I'm right in saying you were 14 at the time. I think you were the youngest male on the team. What was that experience like? Yeah, um, that experience was great. Yes, I was the youngest male on the team. It was... uh, a bit of a shock when I made my first team. I was, I was really at that point. I was hoping to make Tokyo 2020. I was just training yeah. for uh, hoping to make our hoping to make 2020. But um, five years. I went earlier. to yeah, yeah. I went to opens that year with um, just hoping to do PBs. And um, we had a look at the qualifying times beforehand. And um, my parents actually said, "Oh, they're actually not too far." from your PBs. If you do PBs, you could make the team. And I thought, oh, great, let's give it a shot. Yep. Nothing I can lose. And, um, yeah, I was lucky enough to hear my name called out at the end of the meet to say that I'd made the Australian team. And, yeah, it was definitely a great experience. Now, was this your first big trip away from the family? Yeah, yeah, this was this was my first big trip. I'd never been overseas before, uh, only interstate for national championships and stuff. And so... It was uh, a bit of a hard one to prepare for. I didn't know what I was going to um, experience. I didn't know how to race internationally. Mm. And um, just having to prepare for all that at 14 years with very little help from my parents back home was a, it was a, bit, of a bit of a hard gap to bridge. Now, one thing, mate, that I've always been interested in with athletes making teams like World Champs, Olympics, etc., is that not always does their club coach get chosen on that team. Uh, obviously, the coaches that go on the teams and look after you guys are top coaches and very well qualified, but uh, they don't always know your race plans, your mindset, and what it takes you know, to trigger the best in you. How difficult is it for you going into the camps and, and teams 
uh, away from your club coach? Yeah, it does. It does have its challenges. Uh, not every coach is the same. Every every coach does his own. Uh, has his own little way of doing things. Has his own preferences and his own uh, best strokes, for example. Mm. Um, and just to to learn to get along with all coaches, even if you've known him for five years or five minutes, and um, just to be able to. Uh, re- to be able to be self-sufficient and to rely on yourself to um, get the get the best out of yourself while you're away from your home coach is really something that's important on the team because yeah. they can't take every coach otherwise they'd have a team pretty much <laughs> twice the size of what they do now. More coaches, but um, yeah, yeah, it did, um, and it definitely makes each swimmer more resilient if their coach doesn't make the team if they can still perform. Uh, to their expectations and their home coach's expectations. Has it gotten easier over time, though? I mean, you've been on a few camps now, obviously. Is it getting easier? Yeah, yeah, it's getting easier. Um, Sometimes you find that you might get the same coach um, for one or two teams if he makes both teams, if your coach doesn't. And um, it it helps because you learn learn each coach's different ways of doing things. And, um, yeah, that definitely... It definitely makes you more self-sufficient and it basically makes you a better swimmer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, um, 2016 Rio Paralympics, you got fourth in the 4 by one IM relay, fifth in the 200 IM and sixth in the 100 back. It was your first Olympics and you were the youngest male again on the team. You were 15 at that one. What was that experience like? Uh, yeah, that was a great experience. I'll... Never forget it. My first Paralympic Games, I'd been aiming for Tokyo 2020, but after 2015, I thought, why not go for 2016? Yeah. And um, I worked hard leading up to it, and I remember saying to my coach beforehand during training after a hard set, you, you're either going to kill me or you're going to get me to Rio. <laughs> and he said, oh, well, I hope it's the second one. And, uh, yeah, it turned out to be the second one. He got me to Rio, and it was a great experience. It was – it's – Hard to explain. The biggest event in the world is like nothing else. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I was really excited to go. I was really excited to race. And um, uh, it's given me a whole load of memories that I'll treasure. Did you get to mix with uh, other athletes from other, other sports and other countries? Yeah, yeah. We got to mix with pretty much every other sport, every other athlete. There were all the countries all around us, so you'd see athletes from every other country walking around just in between uh, buildings and stuff. And uh, funny thing, when we initially got there and put our bags away and stuff, uh, a couple of our swimming athletes started playing uh, ping pong on the the ping pong tables out the front of the building. And some athletics guys came around and started playing with us. And uh, slowly, everyone started to go do something else until it was just me and one other athletes athlete. And... um, yeah, I was talking to him and uh, asking how he was going and stuff. And uh, later on, I found out that um, he actually won the gold in his event in Rio later on at the championships. Oh, very nice. Yeah, so it was. I felt pretty pretty uh, honoured to have met a <laughs> future gold medalist just before he got the gold medal. So, was he a good table tennis player though? Yeah, yeah, fairly good. Yeah, <laughs> he beat me. <laughs> Mate, um, you do a fair bit of competing with able body athletes as well, especially during your preparations. Is there much difference for you mentally in the way you prepare for races against able body athletes? 
Uh, yeah, kind of. I, I definitely think that going into an able-bodied race, I have a different mentality about it. In, the, in a multi-class race, it's almost never whoever touches first wins. It's whoever gets closest to their world record. So basically, I know my competition. I know who's, uh, for example, the class up for me, so has he has to make faster times, and I try and basically stick as close to him as possible, whereas... With able-bodied competition, it's whoever touches first wins. So I try and just stick with the groups, do as best as I can, and uh, mainly just use able-bodied races uh, to see if I can get times and get PBs. Now, mate, this year you're doing your Year 12 certificate, and as well as you're still training and competing at the highest levels, as well as you're still working, do you find it hard to balance all of those things at the same time? Yeah, yeah, it's very hard to balance everything at the same time. Swimming and uh, HSC don't go too well. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, just having to, to try and get homework done and to try and fit in study around training and all that is it's quite a challenge because um, especially when you do uh, significant training like seven sessions a week or more like I do, yeah. um, you just basically have no afternoons during the week. <laughs> Yeah. And you just have to try and cram it in, in basically in school time or on the weekends. You just have to keep pushing yourself to try and get it done. And you will, as they say, no no rest for the wicked. <laughs> Mate, do you find it hard but also balancing trying to manage your expectations on yourself? I mean, you strike me as a guy who wants to be the best at everything he does, not just in swimming. Is it hard to, to try and be the best at everything? Yeah, yeah, definitely it is. When... Um, with uh, swimming, you're competing against people who are training just as hard as you, if not sometimes harder, and it's just basically whoever wants it the most in the end. Mm. Whereas with school, it's a lot of the time it's whoever puts in the most work. So uh, having to do HSC, uh, basically competing against other students for marks, um, it is quite hard when you're uh, at a time deficit to a lot of the other students you're with. Now, it wasn't that long ago you were wearing green and gold up on the Gold Coast at the 2018 Commonwealth Games. And I mentioned earlier that you won two silver medals in the hundreds back and breast. How was the Com Games experience for you in your home country? Uh, Com Games experience was great. It's one of the best, if not the best, uh, international championships I've ever been to. Just um, the home crowd was uh, just the best thing about it. They cheered every Aussie athlete on as soon as they walked down. It was, it was, you could almost not hear yourself think. Yeah. Were you happy with the results? I was quite happy with my results. I was uh, really happy with my 100 breaststroke, which I managed to get a PB in and a silver, ironically, because uh, breaststroke up until probably a year ago was my worst stroke and I never really trained in it. Mm. And uh, as soon as my coach heard that, oh, um, the... You can take out all the non-Commonwealth countries and find out through the world rankings uh, where you're ranked for the Commonwealth quite accurately. Yeah. Uh, and he did this and found out that I was ranked third for the SB800 breaststroke. And he thought, God, you got to start training breaststroke. We can, <laughs> we'll see if you can get you down to first. Did you and, like the um, sound of that, though, obviously? You weren't a huge fan of breaststroke. Yeah. At first, I was thinking, oh, God, another race to have to do. but. Yeah. Uh, when I found out that there'd only be three races for the S9, SB8 events, 
um, I was happy to take on breaststroke and whichever event I could basically get my hands on. A great part <laughs> of the Games for all of Australia was the integration of the able-bodied with the para-athletes. Is that something you'd like to see at the Olympics or do you think the programs are probably too big to combine? Um, well, I think that's it's a great idea. It's well-meaning. Um, I know a lot of uh people who watch uh, the Olympic Games and the Paralympic Games would like to see them shown at the same time just so they get the same amount of coverage. Mm. But in reality, it's quite hard to do that. Both the Olympics and Paralympics are like the, the, they're the biggest events in the world for each of their uh, disciplines, areas. Um, and to combine them would be too much for any one country to host. So unfortunately, it probably won't become a reality, but they are working towards... Uh, basically having the same uh, opportunities for Paralympics and Parasport as they have for the Olympics. As far as TV coverage and sponsorships, etc. Yeah, yeah, TV coverage, sponsorships, um, yeah, it's the whole lot. Now, I know there are a lot of young swimmers, mate, out there coming up, young para-athletes coming through the swimming ranks. What advice do you have for them for from the experiences that you've learnt so far in your swimming career? Uh, my advice would probably be to just stick with it. You don't know what you can do. Um, and if you push yourself hard, you can achieve pretty much anything. It's, um, it's not the person who's the most gifted that wins in the end. It's the person who's worked the hardest. So if you work really hard, you can get anywhere. Sounds like great advice, mate. I think we will wrap it up there. Thank you very much for coming on the show for the second time <laughs> and sharing your amazing stories. Uh, mate, I know we're all looking forward to seeing what you can do in the future and especially leading into Tokyo 2020. I mean, it's been, what, six years in the making? You, that's what you thought about about six years ago and in that meantime, you've made World Champs, Olympics and Commonwealth Games. So you should be well prepared for the 2020. Yes, hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> Mate, but until then, thank you very much for coming on Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. As I mentioned last week, this show is proudly sponsored by Funky Trunks, one of the best brands in swimming you will find for training and racing togs, equipment, etc. Make sure you check out their latest ranges online at funkytrunks.com or follow them on Instagram for all the latest sales and updates. We'll be doing some exciting prize giveaways over the next few weeks, so make sure you stay tuned on our Off The Blocks Facebook and Instagram pages for how to win. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Hats, and that's as well as I cannot believe he's done that. Thorpton 